0: I was literally trying to make a rooster pun and I couldn't come up with one. I was about to be like the big rooster, the rooster, and it just didn't happen. I wanted to riff. It's fucking awesome. I
1: I think I can say
2: that. (laughs) This episode has children in it, Okay, We can't be swearing, Ariel.
0: Yeah, what the cluck? What the cluck?
1: (laughs) Hey, everyone, and welcome to Another Bite the show where we re-watch some of the greatest and, well, the most intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Ariel Boswell, and I'm joined by John Dick. Hello. And Leslie Green. Hey, y'all. This week, we have a tasty food spread named Like a Distasteful Dating App, a creative mother-daughter duo's Marker Parker, and more. But first, an entrepreneur whose dreams of European farms you could say flew the coop. But before we get into all that, we got bills to pay. So as they say, a word from our sponsor. There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey, but there is the all new service hub from HubSpot. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI powered help desk. Also, you can easily support, strengthen and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. First up in the tank is Overeasy. Overeasy is an easy to ship, easy to assemble, backyard chicken coop. Uh, they have four different sizes, ranging from 5 to 20 chickens, and they range from $1,900 to $1,100, depending on the size. Uh, it was introduced to us by Chet Byler, who is also a native pun speaker. I don't know if either one of you noticed uh, throughout his initial pitch, he had some really great puns <laughs> that he threw out there. But uh, here's the kicker. He's asking for 4% equity um, for $1 million, coming out to a 25%. Million dollar valuation.
2: As the as the shark said when he said that, oh, <laughs> That's, you don't you don't get a strong reaction from the sharks that early, uh, that often. But asking for a million dollars for four percent got that kind of reaction.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is one of the few pitches where I've seen for such little equity asking for so much capital up front. That's a um, big
2: boy valuation right there.
1: Yeah, so Leslie, John, what were some of your initial reactions on the over easy chicken coop and the product itself?
0: I was literally trying to make a rooster pun and I couldn't come up with one. I was about to be like the big rooster, the rooster, and it just didn't happen. I wanted to. It's fucking awesome. I
1: I think I can say that.
2: (laughs) This episode has children in it, okay? We can't be swearing Ariel.
0: Yeah, what the cluck? What the cluck? (laughs) Um These chickens are living a life of luxury. I just want to put it out there. These like chicken coops are beautifully made. I could see them getting designed, upgraded, remodeled. Like I I really like it, I'm, I'm in.
2: Amish County chicken coops are, they are indeed beautiful. Listen, for backyard chickens to take off, we're not just talking about chicken wire like wrapped around some boards like Backyard chickens to take off have to really look the look. People want a swing set in their backyard. They want like a little pool and they want their chicken coop that looks beautiful. And like it's right out of a storybook. And that's what. Uh, over easy chicken coops does. Yeah, I love the branding of over easy chicken coops. I think uh, it has some, you know, nuance to it with the idea that it's uh, that it's easy to do. But it uh, clearly ties to eggs, the benefit of it being easy to do and the lifestyle look and feel of it that everybody's looking for. So it's kind of the whole package from a branding perspective.
0: Yeah. I was actually a little confused. For me, when I heard over easy, I like initially was just like, Oh, this is gonna be like a fun product to make eggs in. I think once we got into it, it started to make more sense. Uh, but when I first heard it, I was like, This is definitely gonna be one of
1: like the weirdest ways to cook eggs. Leslie, did it remind you of the wake and bacon? <laughs>
0: it did. Honestly, maybe I was just having a little PTSD to the wake and bake.
2: Yeah, to uh, I was not confused by the brand. Right off the bat, I got it. So uh good to know there's some confusion there. It's not like you know, want a date, which we'll talk about next, uh, where there really was confusion. That was part of the whole pitch. This one, to me, was a little more straightforward.
1: Yeah. yeah. So let's get into some of the numbers here. Um, so Chet said overall gross profit margins were at 36%, which is really impressive to see 21 million in lifetime sales and 9 million in sales year to date. I think you mentioned within the last six months, um, they grew about 24%, which is Pretty huge. I feel like those initially looked pretty nice for kind of what he was coming in to ask for.
2: I th- so let me just I'll challenge a little bit on the gross margins, Ariel. Mm-hmm. I think the gross margins are lower than they need to be for him to really succeed over time, really? uh, because you know your gross margins don't include all your sales and marketing costs and and a whole bunch of other expenses that are going to be required. And I have a feeling that it is actually going to uh, get harder and harder to acquire customers for backyard chicken coops over time, I think the, you know, the pandemic hit, a whole bunch of things happened where people wanted this. And I would imagine we're going to actually start easing into the long tail here. And he's going to have to probably spend a lot more to acquire each customer. And I'm nervous that his price point is set too low, actually, like relative to the cost to produce. And he's either going to find a way to bring the cost to produce down or raise the price to get a higher gross margin so he can pay more for for customer acquisition because his net margins are like 12 to 15% right now, which you could say, okay, maybe that's fine, but uh, I'm not sure over time that they'll stay there. I think, you know, from here, any costs that go up just will hit his net margin on the bottom line and that'll be pretty tough for him.
0: And then also to the behavior of like people moving away from spending so much time at home versus during the pandemic where they had nothing to do. So of course it's like, let's raise chickens. That's the best thing we can do right now. Whereas now people are like traveling again. A lot of people are actually considering moving back to this like cities.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone tried out the country life and most people were like, <laughs> I really wanna go out to brunch and yeah. I want, like, a $40 Baltazar omelet, right? Like, that's what <laughs> people are taste. suddenly wanting.
0: <laughs> I actually looked when we moved into our house. I looked at, like, the zoning rules for chickens. Like, I live in a fairly, you know, big city. Austin's a big city. But I looked at the zoning rules, and, you know, it's actually pretty lenient. Like, I was surprised. Like, I can have chickens in my city backyard if I want to have them, and I think something like this would keep them comfortable, quiet, calm, so if I ever get chickens, like I would, I would actually look into this.
1: I think the one point that I found really interesting was just how subtly it started off that Chet was talking about Europe and then over time, how that grew in particular.
2: We will expand to Europe where the interest in backyard chickens is even stronger than in the United States. Chet, you're one crazy chicken. What well, are it's the- just like, I think what, what he had analyzed is that there is a market for backyard chicken coops in Europe, and that felt very exciting to him. Uh, But I'm not sure that he had gone through all of the process of trying to figure out like, oh, okay, like, how will I produce these there? What will it cost to produce them there? Uh, How do I source all my materials there? How do I do quality control there? Uh, Europe is not a market Europe has lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of markets uh, with lots of languages. We deal a lot with uh, how do you translate phrases uh, into different cultures. Of course, like one of the arts of marketing is finding, you know, phrases that really resonate with your market and communicate things. That's why I like the the name of the company so much in English. like. I don't know what you'd call it in French. I don't know what an over easy egg is called in French, but it probably wouldn't have nearly the same ring to it, you know? So I think it actually is going to be a lot more difficult. And I'm not sure the market is, he's treating it as kind of just like a homogenous plug and play market. And I think it's actually a pretty diverse and heterogeneous market. And therefore, like, I think he should focus on conquering the U.S. first.
1: What I found really interesting was that he decided to bring Robert Back in, who's been out, mind you, for over 15 minutes of the pitch. And he keeps focusing on Robert, which is really interesting because I've never seen someone like usually you have someone come in, they have their favorite shark or they have like an idea in mind of who they want to work with. But for some reason, Chet was just really sold on Robert um, in that moment and really trying to push the idea of Europe and bring him back in to the point where I believe he even said, I know you're out, but I'm going to bring you back in.
0: I think he just wanted more airtime. He's like, I gotta I gotta milk this for everything that it is and try to just like cause a little chaos while I'm here.
2: Well, not only did he bring Robert back in, but Robert, when he was out, he had one of the most cutting lines I've heard in a long time. He was like- Let me tell you this. Look, Robert, I, listen, the most valuable thing in my life is my time. I don't want to spend it learning about your business. I'm out. Like that's how he like dropped out. And so for him to bring Robert back in, in such a bold way, I was like, oh, that's a power move right there. Very unexpected. Straight out of Amish country, I guess. I don't know. And it kind of wreaked (laughs) havoc with the sharks. Like it disrupted the whole flow. All the the sharks. It was like, I didn't realize there was this like shark code that like, once someone's out, like you leave them out and you focus on who's in. And it like, the sharks were like, upset by it. They were like, he's out. I'm oh, in. What like what is this? Yeah.
1: Shark code. Yeah. And I think we saw that with Kevin, too, um, because Kevin actually rescinds his offer, even though Chet said, yeah, verbally, I accept it. But there was a little bit of that like, "Oof, why aren't you like paying attention to the offers that you actually have on the table? Yeah. Which I think, you know, good. Good on Kevin. So as we know, Kevin pulled the offer. Chet walked away empty handed. So now it's time for our favorite segment.
0: Is it still a company? I feel strongly that it is.
1: I don't know it's de- yeah it's I, be I a feel company. very yep. strongly that it is. Do you think that they were able to ship out to Europe and reach that market?
2: My guess is that they may have launched in Europe, uh, but I cannot imagine that they actually had the capital to meaningfully fund it. Sounds like uh, given the margins that he had, he actually was like running uh, like really tight. He was taking out mm-hmm. loans just to basically uh, deal with all of his accounts payable to uh, have enough money to run the business. So it's not like he was like actually turning out much cash here. So I don't think he had the capital to meaningfully go into Europe. I also don't think that, you know, I did a little look up here. Did, what, what, does anyone know any other languages?
0: I've, I'm not on like fluently. a pretty strong streak on Duolingo, if that impresses anybody. <laughs> I'm about to hit my year in Spanish.
2: For one language, well, okay. So I looked up how to say over easy in French. Oh, I took French in high school. Oh, so okay. um, <clears throat> you ready?
0: Yes, yes, I'm so ready.
2: Sir an uf facile. Let's try it in Spanish. Like
0: f- facile Beautiful. is easy in Spanish. Um, <laughs>
2: Sobrahevo. Yeah. Sobre facile? That's not gonna translate. No one's buying a sobra facile <laughs> coop.
1: <laughs> well, cluck your heels together because the chickens are still in the coop and they've got friends.
0: Oh they've my ex- gosh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They've expanded their SKUs uh, to sheds, chicken runs, and more. So, since the episode was recorded in uh, 2021, they ended the year with 19 million in sales, and their net worth is estimated to be between 5 million to 10 million. I did look up on their direct-to-consumer site to see if I could ship a chicken coop to <laughs> Germany, um, and at this point in time, it is not an option. So. Oh. <laughs> Although Chet left the tank empty-handed, he must be laughing his way to the bank with the excellent sales. So next up in the tank are Wanted Date which is a line of date-based spreads that are natural, vegan, and allergen-free. And they come in a series of flavors such as chocolate, vanilla, cinnamon, and pumpkin spice. And the best part, if anyone is keto-friendly like me, they're only 30 calories. Per serving, uh, we have Melissa Barto. She's a recent graduate from NYU. She's asking for a hundred thousand dollars for a twenty percent stake, which comes out to a five hundred k evaluation. So Leslie, I know that you are into very mindful health and fitness, or at the very least, your aesthetic strikes me. Depends
0: on the day. <laughs> let's not like let's not oversell <laughs> this. I'm like a 60-40 kind of gal. Like we love the unhealthy food too, but. I was really excited about this. I've Mm -hmm. actually never heard of a date spread. Dates are really wonderful as like a a sweet tooth. They have a lot of fiber. Just kind of keep them around as that like, you know, midnight snacky kind of thing. So I was like, oh my God, that's genius. During the pitch itself, you know, she was coming out with that that play on words and that really caught my attention. I was hoping that we weren't going to see like a coffee meets bagel moment where it was another dating app. I had my first date just three years ago during college. And let me tell you, I've had a lot of dates
2: ever since. I thought it was a dating app. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: I was like, no, not this again. Like, I don't want to talk about dating today. (laughs) Um, But then when she she flipped it on her head and then showed the date and banana sandwich, that looked so good. So good.
2: The food looked good. I was so turned off by her saying the words want to date about 47 times in rapid succession. It, like, caused, like, I, like... I got stiff and I like went back in my chair. I don't know why, but she was like, this is the want to date this, want to date, want to date, want to date, want to date, want a date, date, want to date. And I was like, oh no, leave me
1: alone.
0: You'll never forget the name recall. though.
1: Yeah, you'll never
0: Ugh.
2: forget
1: the name. <laughs> now it's stuck in your head, you know.
2: She needed a good pun line though around, why doesn't she have a plain date? It's because the flavored are gateway dates. <gasps> <Genius.
1: laughs> this group.
2: You always can count on me for the Genius. great, great marketing ideas. I'm gonna send well, that one to her for free. <laughs>
1: I would I would at least charge for your services um, uh, as the sharks are kind of going in through the numbers. They, they ask a really um, important question, which is around like, how does she support herself in New York with 31K in sales, which she uncovers, you know, her dad is supporting her primarily and having family funding. Curious to know from you two, what are your thoughts when it comes to having kind of family funding or having those, you know, near you kind of providing a lot of your funds for the means of your business as opposed to, you know, the entrepreneur that, you know, kind of has their back against the wall. And this is their all or nothing uh, business.
0: Uh, My hot take is it just felt like it was unnecessary to like use that against her. I completely understand like Barbara's point of like, your motivation might be different if this is like a basically a rent or be on the street situation. Like that does change your mentality. But I think her dad is, you know, like doing what most parents would do if they were able to do it and supporting and making sure that, you know, she's going to college. She shouldn't be like, looked against because she had that buffer. It's definitely something to take into consideration when you're looking at any entrepreneur. But I don't know, for me, Barbara just felt like she was just like, just felt unhelpful and kind of like di- like distracting from what why we were there.
1: What is in your way,
2: I believe, is that your father is helping you. Because succeeding is an option versus a necessity. And I found that the people that really succeed have a real necessity. They have to do it or the sky's going to fall in. I got so mad at the hypocrisy of this. Uh, (laughs) Bring it. it, Bring it, John. (laughs) I got so mad. If If she had just said... Uh, I actually did a hundred thousand dollar friends and family round mm. to fund my business, yeah. and I'm taking a salary from it. Everyone would have been like, "Oh, way to use your connections." Yeah, Instead, she's like, "Yeah, my dad's point. supporting me," and she, everyone's like, "You don't want it enough. Like, <laughs> you're not willing to like live on the street. It's like you're not ready for the tank." <laughs> <sighs> it made me really mad, and it just like it it just felt like a cop out. It felt like the truth mm-hmm. is she doesn't have a business yet. She's sold thirty one thousand dollars of date spread, and she's worked her butt off to do it. But that's not a business. She sold twenty six hundred jars at farmers markets, mm-hmm. and a couple of people have gone to her website to buy them. Like Barbara's not interested because it's not a business, and she blamed it on like you don't want it enough, and it just felt yeah. like it just felt icky to me.
1: Mm-hmm. That kind of trickled down too to some of the other sharks as well. Uh, Lori started asking about market research, and you know. Melissa came back and said, hey, you know, people have no idea what they want. We haven't done any formal research. Um, So she was out. Damon was out. And then, you know, Barbara specifically saying succeeding is an option, not a necessity for entrepreneurs, which I thought was a fair quote, um, even if I don't necessarily agree with uh, her reasons for pulling out. Uh, But yeah, so all that she was kind of left with was Mark and Kevin towards the end.
2: Yeah. Okay. Thoughts on this. So number one, I actually think Damon had a really important point, which is Mm. I'm really nervous that people aren't going to buy date spread if you're not there to pitch them on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she's going to overcome that. I actually think like if she's going to take money from investors to scale her date spread business, like she's going to need a point of view on how she can like scale it, not at farmer's markets. Like she's going to have to get meaningful distribution on it and spend a lot of money and do a lot of marketing on the power of dates. Like she's like, I want to transform the role of dates in the world into the next superfood. That sounds really expensive to me. Or she's got to be super social savvy. And it's got to be about like superfoods and lifestyle and dates, not her date spread she's either got to run an educational sale about superfoods and healthy living at which dates is that thing you need to empower it or she needs yeah have a much better distribution plan for getting her date jars places
0: yeah my recommendation for melissa is really like find the pr person for kale mm-hmm. whoever that person is who made kale cool <laughs> over the past like <laughs> five ten years and just like figure it out together because it really is like you look at any food that comes in and out of trends um whether it's like they were talking about like avocado cauliflower it's it's presented in a unique and novel way like cauliflower crust for pizza um and it that's what gets consumers excited and so if you see in the marketplace the spread being used in ways that you may normally use peanut butter or other spreads and kind of trying to look at it as like a healthier alternative or replacement i think that positioning could be Really, really powerful. But yeah, we gotta get the kale, whoever the the lead rep for kale is on the line. You can't
2: you can't crack big kale. Big <laughs> kale's full of shadow money, Leslie. You'll never find out who's pushing big kale behind or, the scenes. Or
0: banana bread during the pandemic. Whoever was pushing that <laughs> yes. too, the banana bread during pandemic, those uh those food PR people are uh keeping keeping busy. Yeah.
1: And I actually think there's a lot of really niche markets like myself having a peanut allergy and wanting an alternative for a spread or people who are trying to find ways to incorporate, you know, healthier foods into their diet that may not. So I actually think if they could get the marketing done right? Whether that's through like UGC showing this off um, or, you know, really just kind of leaning into that super niche targeted market. I actually think she wouldn't have to do as much explaining, just leave the rest like on the product packaging. But that's just my two cents. I
2: think think you're right about that. The difference between like whipped coffee on TikTok and banana bread and kale is that those aren't (laughs) brand name things that you're trying to sell a specific brand of a thing. And so Mm -hmm. the challenge for her is she's got no distribution on this product other than a couple of farmers markets in New York and a website. Like if she goes out and tries to make dates into this huge category, she's not ready because she can't fulfill it and distribute it all. So I think she's a little stuck in the middle there. And I think that's actually the reason that most of the sharks ended up being out, um, except for Mark, who gave a pity offer.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. She could have partnered with Tinder during like 2020 and like for want to date, have like date spreads like flights that you could try out for virtual dates. Just saying great like partnership opportunity that was missed.
0: Hey, hear me out. Hear me out. We've talked about keto. You remember Vinny from uh, Jersey Shore? He has like rebranded himself as like the keto guido. What? What about a wanna date with the keto guido? And then we bring them together. Because I he's th- single. For her, I think the opportunity really is like in that influencer space. And getting this product in the hands of people who can do more creative things with it than she can do. 100%. She probably won't be able to fulfill it if that happens.
2: Yeah, I don't think she's ready for it. I think that's actually the whole point. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she's anywhere close to being ready to go, go big here. She doesn't really have a business yet. She's not ready to actually mobilize it. One thing we didn't talk about that needs to be mentioned is Mr. Wonderful's uh, <laughs> side comment about the Bedouins. Yes. yes. Like, yes, uh, and the like,
1: chamomile and living off of dates. Fun fact. Like, is this <laughs> Out of a
2: nowhere, lifestyle? Well, yeah. Out of nowhere, in the middle of her pitch, Mr. Wonderful's like, I need to interrupt you for a minute. Uh, Dates are a superfood, and in fact, Bedouins have sustained themselves on dates in the desert for centuries. How do you Everyone know was just that,
1: like, Mr. Wonderful? What? Like- right. Is that a side hustle? Maybe he's a secret foodie deep down <laughs> inside. Who knows? I like, yeah,
0: I really need to, I wanted to look that up as soon as you said it, because I was just like, random, but.
2: And it wasn't just about dates. It was clearly about the Bedouins, because he knew about mm-hmm. dates and chamomile, not just mm-hmm. dates, not just chamomile. He could be a tea yeah. guy. A spread guy or a Bedouin guy? (laughs) I think he's a Bedouin guy.
0: I'm deep in a hole of the benefits of having dates with milk now so we can follow up next episode
1: <laughs> I feel like this episode is covered so much on another bite right we talked about parenting hacks we've now had a little bit of a history lesson we're learning about business covering all the all the areas but
2: all the important stuff yeah
1: this is a very small you know very early on you know company so Mark offered uh, Melissa 100k for a 33% stake on the condition that there is a plain date flavor um, and as we know Melissa made the deal with Mark. So is this still a company? Do we still think Wanted Eight is still around?
2: Oh, yeah.
0: I think it is. I wanted her to counter so bad. I hated when she was just like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I was just like, no, like counter, like just come back mm-hmm. with it. Don't say anything. I wanted anything. her to
2: be more fierce, like more fierce throughout. Like I wanted yes. her to go with Barbara and be like, you don't know anything. Yeah. Like she She took yeah. the opposite path, which was like to get really emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. about it instead of being like, Screw you for judging me, like
0: yeah, that. And it was the
2: same with Mark. She should have pushed. I want two hundred fifty thousand dollars for twenty percent. Yeah,
0: Lori was like, "You can do it," and I think that's just like an interesting when you think about like the psychological side of it, like the the entrepreneurs that just like they know their their stuff so well, they know what they're gonna say. As a counter offer before they even get an offer. Like they have it ready to go. And I think she got a little just like caught off guard there. I mean, she was super excited to get the deal. But this is just one of those moments where, like, her is like a younger entrepreneur. I just wanted her to be like, come back with a counter. The worst thing they can do is say no, but don't like second guess yourself in front
1: of them. Right. So here's an update. We can get behind. <laughs> the dates are still spreading the love. So contrary to Kevin's statement of too many flavors, um, they've actually expanded their flavor line to include cookie. And yes, the original date spread as promised to Mark. Uh, but not only that, they've introduced date dough in snickerdoodle chocolate brownie, and birthday cake, which all sound delicious. The products are in 128 grocery stores, including Whole Foods, um, particularly in the Midwest regions. And as of 2022, the company has made $4.7 million in lifetime sales. And they plan to expand into more states across the nation. So keep an eye out for the date you've been dreaming of. I love this for her. I'm so happy. I do too.
2: Yeah, me too. That guy just ate 40. 40- Rotisserie chickens in forty days. I don't know if you I saw that guy. I want. I I want someone to do that with the dates. That should be her push. You should just have someone live entirely off dates for like a year and see the how the date goes.
1: challenge, the, the Bedouin challenge. challenge, the be- oh,
2: that would be sick.
1: <laughs> That'd be a good trend. <laughs> Last up in the tank, we have Big B, Little B. Um, this is from the most recent season, so aired in October of 2022. And we have guest shark Emma Greed, who is the CEO of Good American. For those that aren't familiar, Good American is a clothing company. She co-founded it with Khloe Kardashian. Uh, but let's talk about Big B, Little B. They are an innovative tools for kids and keeping them mess. Free. So it's a series of different products um, that they offer specifically for kids and really for moms that are tired of picking up uh, dried up markers. Uh, so we have a mother-daughter duo, Amy Lineback and Marlo Lineback, who is seven and a half years old. They're asking for $100,000 for 20% equity, which comes out to a 500 k valuation. As they came out, they introduced their Marker Parker item, which was specifically focused around no more markers rolling on the floor, no more lost marker caps, and no more dried out markers. And they have a number of different SKUs based on the sizing of the markers that sell for $15 and $2.70 for production.
2: I was so excited about the psychological experiment I was about to watch, which is can the sharks who are pitched as the meanest group of people? Say no in the nicest way possible to the cutest, bravest little entrepreneur that's <laughs> mm-hmm. ever come across the screen.
0: I know. I hated that. I, I hated think that this was episode. intentional. Like I felt terrible. I was like, "You're a monster." I said that to myself. I was like, you're a monster. You're a shark. Because it was just like, oh my God. I was it, so the proud. The whole thing maybe, I, I,
2: like, I was having very strange reactions. <laughs> I kept having to pause. I was like laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> I was getting, I like cried at one point. I was like, what is happening to me? This is like throwing me on an emotional roller coaster right now. Give her some money.
0: <laughs> I know. I was like, please just, just pick her stuff and make it happen. I can't watch this anymore. Because it was just like, I don't know. For me, it was like the roller coaster of like, what am I actually watching? Like, I feel like we we grow to get accustomed to this like very tight, well delivered pitch. I mean, I think the way that she had, you know, her daughter included was just so perfect. Like, yeah. And how much does it cost per thing to make? Mm -hmm. Like she knew it and she was doing such a good job, but it was just like it just kept getting more and more confusing as it went. And then when I finally realized like, oh, they have like four other products,
1: like what? exactly are we here for we were just on a roller coaster for big b little b interesting too when they went to the multiple products i would have wished that the pitch came out and they're like this is our like invention company and these are all the products that we have and as opposed to coming out to the marker parker item i think i literally went back to like the notes that i've written here and i was like is this the right company what's big b little b because i think i'm looking at marker parker but i'm not 100 i was very sure. confused too yeah i, I think I- you were
2: right ariel <laughs> i think she i think she mispositioned the whole thing I think she should have said, we are a children's cleanup product innovation company mm-hmm. with a whole series of products. And we are here to show you our newest product and give you the chance to invest before we take it to market.
0: Yeah, I like that. Like how to like kind of keeping your kids clean. That feels like it makes a lot more sense to me because I was actually really interested in when she talked about the scrubber, scrubby, I think is what it's called, the scrubby. Yep. Like that was way more, made a lot more sense in my mind. Like. The marker holder is cool. I love organization, but I just I couldn't really see the use. But I love those little like antimicrobial scrubbers because I think washcloths are disgusting. I think uh, those other scrubby poofs are gross. So I was like, the, the bee loofa? thing, The loofah. <laughs> you don't like the loofah, Leslie? Loofahs gross me out <laughs> and washcloths gross me out too. Like <laughs> to use them, to reuse them. Like obviously a fresh <laughs> washcloth. But like, so when she brought that up and then also said, I think 80% of the sales were actually from that from the scrubby i was like why are we hearing about the scrubby why are we hearing about the little like marker honeycomb could we shift
2: gears perhaps i'm not sure anything quite dates somebody by the way to be like part of the late 1990s generation like the loofah you know that was really that like if shark tank had been around then it definitely would have been a shark tank product like you could see it right
0: yeah. yeah. I I yeah, my mom is the only one I think of my life who uses the loofah. That's What I'm saying, everyone's
2: mom was using the loofah. There was loofahs everywhere. There were loofahs all over up. the house. Oh,
1: Ariel uses just, the loofah. We just have... for just for bath occasions. Like a bath time, I love a loofah versus shower like it's it's, it's all about the experience. But the scrubby easy grip silicone scrubber technically uh leslie yeah it was 80 percent of sales um overall and i think to your point if they would have came out strong saying this is our hero product and here's like some new innovation that we have along the way could have been a little bit more of a cleaner pitch uh, but looking into some of the numbers um last year they made 230 thousand worth of sales and again that majority of that came from the scrubby um, silicon scrubber. Uh, the difficulty that they're facing really is around the quality, manufacturing, supply chain, kind of a lot of the important crucial pieces that you need for a <laughs> lot of a inventions. lot of problems. Yeah, a little bit. And year to date, they've been making $110,000, uh, and they've actually lost a fortune this year, which I thought was a very interesting uh, story that Amy was starting to go into.
0: Yeah, that was like the big air of the episode was she said, please don't ask me about this year. Can you imagine going to an investor, yeah. asking for money and then just saying like, I would actually not like to discuss how much money I've made in the most recent year. Like what?
2: Yeah, I. you know, this is where I feel like her story was so much more complex than it, it needed to be. And I felt for her because seems like actually what was happening was she had a really successful product that was going really well she had a bunch of like manufacturing quality supply chain issues that basically like put it out of stock forever she lost all of her momentum on it she tried had started to introduce new products in the mix and then her brave sweet little daughter comes along and is like mama I want to invent this and she's like I have a new idea shit I gotta I gotta gotta support this and so now she's in debt and she's got no money and she has clearly no time to figure out her finances because she's parenting and running this business and inventing new products which parenting alone and working is hard Mm -hmm. enough Uh, so I had a lot of empathy for her because I think she's got some really interesting products and she just needs uh, a bit of narrative and business help and investment to try and get things back on track.
0: Yeah, I think I just thought to myself, like, that debt that she's taken on, I'm like, that could be a college fund. Like, yeah, a hundred K. This, yeah, we need to send our budding entrepreneur to college and have her, like, revive this Little B, Big B product line.
1: Yeah, and I think that was the point where Kevin started to pull out. And then Amy, I think she tries to kind of save the pitch a little bit and hints at a new product, which is the food container. But... What was meant to excite the sharks, I feel like, did the complete opposite of what she intended to do. Um, Sharks weren't super excited by the food container. I think Mark called out at one point that she has inventoritis, which he says, quote, is one of the worst entrepreneurial traits, unquote. Uh, So Mark was out, I think. You know, next we kind of see Lori and Emma bringing up some good points, like kind of what we mentioned around it was a little bit unclear, ambiguous, like in her overall pitch and how scattered it felt. Um, But then Robert got to the point where he said, you know, hey, I was going to make an offer until you started showing me about more products. Um, Why
0: did he do that? That was like, honestly. Like, it's just better to have just been like, no, we're all out. But he's like, I would have done this if you had just stopped talking about the other. Because they're all
2: going to be perceived as monsters for being mean. This is this Mm -hmm. master stroke of this woman. And I will just tell you, (laughs) I don't think she needed the shark money. I bet that she I bet her sales have popped because everybody in America was like, what a bunch of jerks. We must support the bees. Yeah, we'll go support the bee lady. Like, let's go. Let's go buy. I bet she has sold a ton since this episode aired. I think mission accomplished for her. I think that alone could get her on a path to getting out of debt.
1: Well, there was a little bit of some drama after the tank, considering that this episode aired only a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, Amy has received tons of backlash from online haters, um, anywhere from attacking her as a mother, claiming that she's exploiting her child, and even so far as going to attacking her daughter, Marlo, and calling her names. Amy actually posted a TikTok video a couple days ago in response to the online attack. I was not prepared for them to attack me as a mother. I was not prepared
0: for people to say I was exploiting my child. I was certainly not prepared for people attacking my kid herself. And calling her names. And the online bullying needs to stop. It needs to stop. What's it gonna take?
1: Just in tears from online bullying and just how difficult it has been for her emotionally since I hate the this segment aired.
2: I hate yeah. the internet.
1: I hate, I hate the, the internet. What's wrong with you people? Like, don't attack children. <laughs> like, Yeah, I hate that. And
0: I hate that Like, she had to get to the point where she was like needing to address it. I mean the sad part is is like any of that press is good press and it probably helped her sales um not that i'm happy that it's at the expense of her or her daughter's emotional well-being but i don't know i really wish the best for them i think like if they can get a little more focused they can get some better marketing. I feel like they can at least have this as something they do together. And I'd be really excited to see in like 10, 15 years what our what our child entrepreneur will be up to. Yeah.
1: yeah. I hope Marlo makes it big and is like the next greatest entrepreneur that anyone has ever seen. Just to show all the
2: haters. Yeah. <laughs> She's um, like, did, I'll but-
0: show you this marker holder is amazing. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the cha- you know, the challenge there is like, is this something she wants or is this something her mother wants? And I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that people call yeah. into question. And lots of parents push their kids for things that they want, not what their kids want, and end up forcing them into situations that have real consequences for their life. Um, yeah. and I'm sure that's what some of the backlash was around. But the number one job that kids want is to be a YouTube influencer. That's the job. I'm not kidding.
1: Unboxing videos. That's their biggest thing. <laughs>
2: That's what every kid wants in the world. And like, I don't know, like, I think it's amazing that she found a path to get her daughter that exposure because I'm sure her daughter really wanted it and did it in a way that doesn't actually sacrifice on her. It's nothing but positive vibes for her long term from here. She's not like, you know, a child TV star for the rest of her life. Like she's, you know, like she was on a Shark Tank episode.
0: Yeah. Marlo's going to make the products that get unboxed. We'll just leave it at that.
1: So to round out our episode today, who would we say won the episode? Was it a certain shark, certain entrepreneur, or maybe a particular chicken?
2: I'm gonna say Wanna Date one. and the reason she won is I don't think she has a business at all. Uh, <laughs> and now oh she's, my god, she doesn't? So yet. Savage. she might. She <gasps> right. might someday. And she's hustling. She's working for it. I don't. I I got nothing but respect. I've never. I don't think I've ever worked that hard to grow a business like like she is doing. She's lugging that mm-hmm. those jars everywhere. But she doesn't really have a business yet. She sold twenty six hundred jars of dates and now she has a deal with Mark Cuban and is part of his Shark Tank portfolio. I think that's a huge win for her. And uh I hope I hope she kicks I hope she kicks butt. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. I think uh definitely the wanna date is uh the winner for me too. Yeah. That's my honest answer. But my funny answer is
0: probably the chickens. These chickens are living the <laughs> nicest lives that, that anyone could ever imagine. Like the fact that we have like essentially like Airbnb for chickens, luxury chicken coops. I love that for them.
1: Today's episode is written and produced by Matthew Brown. If you like what you hear, even if you don't like what you hear, follow and subscribe to the show. But smashing that subscribe or follow button is really the most helpful thing a beautiful person like yourself can do for the show. Or send us free products. I mean, that's great. Also love a free trinket. Okay. We'll see you in the tank next week for another
2: bite.
1: Whoa. (laughs) Who knew?
2: Ariel out of nowhere was just like, oh, by the way. I- <laughs> another bite. We were like, ah oh. <laughs> no.